Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore. You're listening to Black on the Air, recording this on Halloween, October 31st. There are just a few days before the election. That's what's scary. Halloween is not scary, you guys. Everybody's scared right now because of Tuesday and what's going to happen November 3rd. Thanks for listening in. On the podcast today, I'm talking with Nate Silver of founder, editor-in-chief of 538, his blog, where they examine all the polls and all that stuff. And uh, we have a great conversation. And even I even ask him how exactly polls are taken and what's going on. And, and we kind of go through it all. And, you know, a couple of predictions at the end and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. Thanks to all the people who wish me happy birthday. Appreciate that. And uh, we had a fun show on Peacock last night. So you guys that aren't watching Wilmore on Peacock, download Peacock. I'm telling you, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. They got some great shows on there. Great library on there. My show's on there. Wilmore. Amber Ruffin is there. We're both doing late night on Friday nights. Her show is hilarious, by the way. You got to catch that. So doing my plug, my plug for Peacock, because it's good, you guys. It's really good stuff. And as I told you before, Peacock, Hulu, Amazon, all those stuff to me is the future of television. That's how I kind of look at it. Uh, that mixture of uh, live television and curated library, new content, all that kind of stuff. So that's where it's gone. Um, I don't know if I'm nervous right now. I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling. I know a lot of people that I know. A lot of my friends have a lot of anxiety. Ojita, as he <laughs> as it's said to, or Ajita in New York, Ojita about the election. People are afraid of 2020 being like 2016. As I said on my show last night, I'm afraid of 2020 being a continuation of 2020. <laughs> like the worst thing. It's like 2020, how can you do this to us? You know, of course you're doing this to, the, to us. You're 2020. But I don't know. Um, I said last week I would give you my prediction, and I will. In 2016, I predicted that Trump would win. I had a bad feeling about it. Something just didn't seem right to me. I predicted it a year ahead of time, by the way, not even close to the election. This was before he even had the nomination. And as it got closer, I felt the same way. Nothing kind of changed it. The Access Hollywood thing made me think, okay, Larry, you predicted this, but there's no way this is going to happen. So even though I predicted it, part of me thought that I was being ridiculous, that it was going to happen. So when it did happen amongst my friends, I was not. I was shocked, but not surprised, if that makes sense. You know, <laughs> I was shocked that people would actually do the thing that I predicted, you know, in that situation, but not surprised. So I had a little different feeling. I had that that gut punch, but it, it just felt differently. This year, there's a lot of things that feel the same that they did in 2016, but a lot of things that feel different and a lot of circumstances are different. Trump was, there were a lot of things we knew about Trump, but there were a lot of things we didn't know. The biggest thing we didn't know was how he would act as president. We just didn't know. We knew how he acted in the non-political world and how much of a fool he was during you know, the primaries and the debates. But we did not know how he would be as president. Now we know. Now we have that evidence. And based on that evidence, I think a lot of people are making different decisions that they made last time. Some people are making the same decisions. Some people are doubling down on their decisions. But I think there's a significant number of people, and I relate this to COVID, who are changing their minds about Trump in key areas of the country. And that is because this motherfucker chose not to be a leader during a huge crisis and chose to just be his normal, stupid, sociopathic, narcissistic, Trump-loving self. And that was a fatal flaw. Great presidencies are usually marked by crises and how a president handles crises. The presidents who we consider the great presidents usually have had to face large crises. It's rare. I think there's, I can think of maybe one example where that was not the case. Lincoln, of course, had the Civil War. Uh, FDR, of course, had the Great Depression. You can look at uh, time and time again, people, if you name somebody who you feel is a great president, there was usually a a great thing there. People who consider Reagan one, I don't, but the people that do feel that he had the Cold War and the fall of the Soviet Union, and that is a foe. 
Teddy Roosevelt, in my mind, didn't really have a big crisis, but he really fundamentally changed the nature of the presidency, almost made it an activist presidency rather than just being part of the noblesse oblige. It's one of the reasons why I felt that Clinton could not be a great president because he didn't have that great thing he had to face, you know, and unfortunately had the Lewinsky thing and everything. Lyndon Johnson, there are mixed reviews about him because, you know, he had the Vietnam War, but many people felt that was <laughs> due to, due to uh, you know, Gulf of Tonkin and that kind of thing and kind of what he and Kennedy kind of brought upon. And of course, that was started by Eisenhower, but escalated by them. So people felt he brought that upon himself, had a different opinion of it, and he didn't stick around to kind of see that through. But Johnson passed the Civil Rights Bill and the Voting Rights Bill, you know, and kind of once again, like Teddy Roosevelt, FDR in some ways, kind of changed the government's relationship to the people in fundamental ways. Protecting the rights of Black Americans was a huge thing, you know. So I consider LBJ one of the great presidents, you know extraordinary events and times and that kind of stuff. Trump had that. COVID is an extraordinary event. Huge crises. Certainly, the virus itself is not the president's fault, nor, you know, I don't know if you can say it's somebody's fault. It's kind of a weird blame thing. It's a, it's a global crisis. But how the president comports himself in that crisis is what's going to make a president great and worthy of being a leader and not great and just worthy of being dismissed by history. And that's where, in my mind, the president has fallen short. And I'm taking all ide ideology out of this right now, just looking at it very coldly from a historical point of view. Because I said in January, this is before COVID, with a good economy, Trump would have been reelected easily in my mind, very easily. And Talking to my friends, they hated me saying that. They're like, Larry, stop it. You're doing it again. My daughter calls me the Oracle. You know, she says, Dad, don't say things, you know, because they're true. You know? But it's not that I'm a big predictor. I just kind of look at how people behave. You know, I look at it as behavior, not as ideology. It's very unusual for the American people to shift horses during a good economy. If you take ideology out of it, it just really doesn't happen. You know, even in 92, the Clintons said it's the economy, stupid. You know, that was part of their tagline. It's also very strange for people to go with a different president, president during times of war. That's another thing that, you know, a lot of people felt that Bush was an easy target in 04. And I said, I don't think so. We're in, you know, that was the height of the um, Iraq war. And I said, it's just unusual for Americans to choose a different president during wartime. You know, and sure enough, I feel like he beat Kerry easily. It wasn't that much of a contest. Getting an incumbent not getting reelected is a big deal because the incumbent has the bully pulpit. The incumbent has the ability to communicate with the American people. The American people see examples of what that person does in office. They're familiar with that person, usually more than they are the challenger in most cases. In some cases, if you have a challenger who's really famous, who's been around, that's a little different. The incumbent has the advantage. It's, it's, uh, it's harder, I think it's harder for the incumbent to lose than it is to win. Jimmy Carter lost in 1980, but he faced very tough, very tough economy that was interest rates. You guys, young people that weren't around have no idea. Interest rates were like above 20% at one point. It was ridiculous. I mean, they're close to zero right now. Think about if you bought a house, the type of interest you had to pay and that type of thing was crippling. I mean, just crippling, you know, getting, you know, getting loans and that kind of stuff. Of course, if you were saving your money and had it in money markets or that type of thing, you could do well. But, you know, who could save money back then? So it was a very stagnant economy. Carter was very much a micromanager. He came into office kind of being this fresh new face, but. I think the blush fell off the rose kind of quick when people just felt like uh, the country was stagnating. And then when the Iran hostage thing happened, it just kind of was the last kind of nail in the coffin, I guess, for that. Uh, Bush in 88 was, or in 92, after he uh, was elected pretty easily, I think in 88, which people thought was the third term of Reagan. Uh, that one's a little tougher because 
that's Republicans being in office for 12 years. And sometimes I think when you have someone following someone of the same party, that's a little tougher for them as an incumbent, as opposed to somebody like Carter, who was that fresh face, you know, could have that an eight year run or something like that. But once again, the economy hurt Bush. You know, that's when Clinton said it's the economy, stupid, blah, blah, blah. But then we had eight years of Clinton, eight years of Bush, eight years of Obama. It seems Trump was poised to do that as well because, you know, he's not following another Republican, that type of thing. And the thing that is doing him in is not the economy. It's COVID and it's leadership. It, I think it's something as simple as that. This is why I predict that Joe Biden will be our next president. I said on my show last night, I don't think Trump can beat Biden. I think the only way he can win is to cheat Biden. But that's who's going to be president. So that's my prediction, you guys. We're going to switch horses here. And uh, and really, it's really not the number of people who have died in COVID. Honestly, as tragic as that is, and it's so sad, it's his behavior. He's acted like a fool. You know, all these histrionics, it's so embarrassing and it's so just terrible. It's it's just one of the worst displays of human behavior I've ever seen from any kind of leader. You know, I wasn't around <laughs> during World War II with Hitler, you know, but it's just terrible, guys. It's it's disgusting. It really is. And I said the other, I can't remember where I said this, maybe an interview or something where Trump showed more compassion for Helene Maxwell in 30 seconds than he showed for the victims of COVID in six months. Because it's also self-serving, his his behavior, and it's just nasty. And in my mind, and I think a lot of American people's mind, not worthy of being president again. So bye-bye. See ya. Go back and manage your hotels, asshole. There you go. That's my prediction. That's what I got. We'll see what's going to happen. Anything can happen, of course, even though my daughter says I'm the oracle. I hope that makes you guys feel better that I'm I'm predicting that this time instead of the other way. You know, and I'm not even basing this on numbers. I'm basing it on how I feel history works, which is kind of a different approach, I know. So I could be wrong on this. I could, there could be, uh, you know, there could be some cultural thing that's going on that I'm missing on this that I'm not factoring in. I'm just looking at it from this one point of view. So who knows? I hope I'm right on it. We'll see. All right, guys. That's all. There's a lot of other distracting things going on. You know, rappers are still like going crazy supporting Trump and all that. T.I. saying he can wash down COVID just by drinking some tea or something. It's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) I don't have time to deconstruct all that. We have a great conversation coming up. And next week we will talk about, we will see what we have next week. And we will either deal with, uh, you know, the apocalypse, or we will see the apocalypse. You know, we'll see one of those two things happening. We'll be talking about that. So I'm hoping everyone has a great and safe week. If you haven't voted yet, please get out and vote. Be safe. Social distance, wear your mask. You know, exercise your constitutional right. You guys get out there and do it. Let's do this. All right. We have Nate Silver coming up. There you go. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, welcome back, everybody. Very uh, pleased, excited to have the founder and editor-in-chief of 538 Blog and host of 538 Politics Podcast, Nate Silver on Black on the Air. Nate, welcome. Hey, happy to be here. I'm a big fan of you, big fan of The Ringer, so it feels overdue. Yes, I agree. I love uh, seeing what your takes are on these things. Uh, since you kind of hit the scene, you brought a whole new energy uh, <laughs> to the whole polling game. Uh, as it were, or whatever. I want to get into some of the forensics of what's happened before and what's going on. But before I do get into that, I wanted to start simple with you because I always wanted to take the chance to ask exactly how are polls taken exactly right now? Um, what What is the actual process? So there are a couple of different ways that it's done. Um, the traditional way is to do a telephone poll. So a pollster will acquire a list of phone numbers, either 
either the phone book they'll use literally or a list of registered voters and they'll they'll randomly pick names. And are they using, are they calling people on landlines? Like, do they make a distinction between cell phone users and landline users? Almost, almost all polls call both cell phones and landlines because most people are, most people don't really use landlines anymore. So your polls can be very, very biased to like old white people if you only call landlines. So you you have to do both. Okay. Got it. And is it done the same regionally or are there regional differences in polling? It's done the same. I mean, but every region has um, quirks, right? Like in Florida, Mm -hmm. for example, um, you'd want to distinguish like Puerto Rican or Mexican Americans from uh, from Cuban Americans because they vote very differently. Cubans are much more conservative, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in some states, um, you know, you have a population that may speak Spanish, for example. So you have Mm -hmm. to... You have to make adjustments, but for the most part, it's the same. Some states offer lists of people in which party they're registered with. That makes mm-hmm. polling easier. In some states, you're just kind of like dialing out of the phone book. It's a little bit harder, but, mm-hmm. but it's also the same, mostly the same around the country and in some ways around the world, too. And do people get polled more than once? Is it more of a random thing? Like, are people on poll lists who get polled all the time? Um, I don't know if I've ever been polled, or maybe I just didn't answer the phone <laughs> or whatever. It should be random. Now, there are also some online polls that you opt into, right? You say, I'm going to sign up for this panel. They might be more likely to contact you a couple of different times or ways to adjust for any biases that would create. But for the most part, it's random. Any of us could get a phone call at Mm -hmm. any time from a a polling firm. If you're in a state like New Hampshire, where there's a lot of a swing state, there are not very many people. I mean, New Hampshire, you probably would get polled more than California, New York or something. But yeah, anyone can get polled, in theory, at least. And I've noticed that it seems to me that polls can be, let talk, what are the different ways a poll can be biased? And by bias, I, it would, there could be a group that wants a certain outcome. And so maybe their questions are slanted in a different, in a certain way. How, how do the questions themselves affect the answers? So, I mean, there are ways to make a poll intentionally biased or unintentionally mm-hmm. biased, right? Okay. Um, you know, if you kind of say, um, if you ask a bunch of questions about, you know, what about this Hunter Biden scandal? <laughs> if it's a real, it's not, I'm not sure it's really a scandal, right? And then you yeah. ask, oh, who are you voting for, right? That might bias the results, right? You know, but they're usually, it's usually a bit more subtle than that, right? Um, there is one polling firm, for example, that is showing relatively favorable results for Trump mm-hmm. that only includes people that voted four years ago or in the midterm two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas we know that a lot of people with this higher turnout in early voting states, a lot of people are voting for the first time, right? If you drop off all the first time voters, then maybe get a better result for Trump. And so there's things like, okay, even if you tell me I've already voted, mm-hmm. they'll say, well, no, you, you're not a likely voter since you didn't vote in 2018. Oh, I voted though already, right? They don't, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, you know, look, I mean, in polling, you kind of get what you pay for a little bit, right? If you want to have like a, um, a poll that shows inflated numbers for Trump or for Biden, Someone will provide that to you, you know, and come mm-hmm. with some kind of flimsy rationale for it. Right. Um, but the good kind of expensive telephone polls kind of are pretty consistent in this year, at least, and showing a fairly large lead for, for Joe Biden. What is the oldest poll? Is Gallup still around? I remember Gallup was a poll I used to hear about all the time. Gallup is still around. They've kind of gotten chicken shit about, like, actually polling huh. Elections, right? In in 2012, uh-huh. Gallup kind of infamously had Mitt Romney winning instead of Obama, wow. um, and instead of being like, "Well, we got a lot right and this one wrong," right? They kind of chickened <laughs> out and they don't do like they do polling, but they don't do like uh-huh. who's going to win type polling, horse race polling, as we call it. Uh, right. And uh, how do you do it? Do you gather polls together and take a look at that, or do you do polling yourself? What 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 do you do exactly? No, we're, we are polling hunter gatherers, I guess, right? We like, we like, okay. we collect other people's polling. Right. And what we're really doing is kind of translating that polling into a probability, right? Okay. If Joe it. Biden's up nine points nationally and five points in Pennsylvania and two points in Florida, how does it actually translate into how often he'll win? We do, we occasionally do our own polling. I don't want to, but like, but mostly not. And I feel like what you guys do is akin to analytics in sports. And in fact, you worked in sports uh, initially, right? Yeah, I worked for Baseball Perspectives. Uh, yeah. You know, I worked for ESPN, so um, I'm a big sports guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is very analogous, right? It's a lot of the money ball kind of. Um, yes, exactly. You know, scouts versus stats kind of thing. I think in sports, actually, like in sports, like the scouts are smart, right? They pick up on mm-hmm. little things. 
right. politics, like the pundits are dumb. <laughs> like literally, <laughs> even if I didn't exist, like uh-huh. literally just, I think pundits are like, right, like less than half the time. So you can yeah. almost like be contrarian and like bet against what the conventional wisdom is. Yeah, that is what's interesting because you have punditry, which is putting out a message and everything is confirmation biased. And then you have something that is supposed to be a scientific uh, look at something. And those are always butting up against each other. And I think it's when they're really against each other is when we seem to not be able to believe what we're looking at. And we never blame the pundits as much as we blame the polls, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we think in 2016, um, in 2016, 538 gave Trump our final model of 29 or 29% chance. And that was the highest. I think you guys gave him the highest chance, right? What happened? Why were so many polls wrong in 2016? Like, what was going on there, do you think? So for one thing, I don't think the polls were that wrong in 2016. I mean, if uh-huh. you have a poll that shows a candidate only a couple of points ahead, then it's not that solid. Um, it's kind of like if you have a football game where um, a team is ahead by a field goal in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, they're going to lose that fairly often, right? If they're ahead by, you know, 20 four points let's the Atlanta Falcons or whatever they're going to win probably but like um yeah but the, the difference is the fans don't come out of the stands to play the game <laughs> you know for sure it's the players playing the game you know but I do want to like yeah. it's a spectrum polls yes. can be more right or more wrong right yeah um and in 2016 Clinton did not have that solid lead so polls were a little bit wrong that she was going to lose potentially um yeah. but there are issues that pollsters identified um one of them is that, um, so if you call people out of mm-hmm. the phone book or from a list, right. you do not get like a random, I mean, you call a random, but you do not get people equally likely to answer the phone, right? Mm-hmm. People who answer the phone from a pollster are more likely to be older, more mm-hmm. likely to be women, more likely to be white. Um, yep. And they're also <laughs> more likely to be, to be college educated, right? If mm-hmm. you have a college degree, then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. A pollster is calling me. I can, you know, mm-hmm. I can give my public opinion on it, you know? So for most things, like pollsters know that if you just randomly dial people, you get more women than men, right? Mm, but you also know that about 49% of people who vote are men, right? So therefore you can wait the poll. You can say, okay, well, a little harder to get men, so we'll kind of count men a little bit more that we do get to weight them to their share of the population, right? Or it's mm-hmm. hard to get like young Hispanic men in particular on the phone, right? So if you find one, you're like, okay, we got this guy. We're going to like Give him eight you times. You find one. We're like, oh my, we're so, we're I so got excited. me out of Hispanic, you guys. I got me one. <laughs> but then the, that person's opinion would be weighted seven times higher because it's so hard to mm. get young Hispanic men on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to get old white women, right? So an old white woman, then you might wait to point two or something, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the reason is because you know how many people really are women and really are Hispanic and white and et cetera. So you know kind of what the population demographic should be. With education levels, it used to be that there was no difference based on education levels of who voted for whom, right? Mm-hmm. College educated, non-college, high school, no high school, right? No real partisan split. Nowadays, people who went to college, completed college, are much more likely to vote Democratic. Um, so if you have a poll that has too many college educated voters, they're gonna be, it's going to be too Democratic. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to adjust for that. And now most pollsters are adjusting for that. That was a big source of error four years ago. Why do you think those splits have happened demographically? Because in some ways, I think culture and, and coastal elitism versus populism is like the mm-hmm. most important dividing line in the country. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, Donald Trump and the Republican Party are not making highly intellectual kinds of appeals they're making emotional appeals and politics always contains a mix of both right but like um but they kind of figured out that like it used to be oh okay well the divine line in politics is views on economics right some people want redistribution some people want to keep their wealth right and like yeah there's some of that right some of it's on economics but it's more on on culture right mm-hmm. um who is a have who is a have not how is that defined and it's about grievance against kind of um the the mainstream culture if you will so i think mm-hmm. trump I don't think Trump is actually that wise or smart a politician, but he did Mm -hmm. identify that like cultural grievances merging into racial grievances. um, That's what really motivates people to form political opinions and kind of that's, that's what he tries to exploit. And it feels like in 2016, 
there was a part of the electorate that did not show up in polling but came out. And is there, I, I feel like it was a big deal for a number of reasons. I think there were some people who maybe didn't want to say they were going to vote for Trump, you know, <laughs> uh, people who, as you say, aren't going to answer the phone and talk about that. But I also think there was like an anti-Hillary thing that wasn't coming out in polling too. Does that sound like what could have caused some of the uh, numbers to not really jibe all the time? I mean, again, I come from the point of view that like, you know, the polls are pretty good in 2016. I know it's not a popular view. I'm right? going to keep if fighting you on that, Nate. If Trump got 48% when he's supposed to get 46%, um, or he actually got 46, he lost a popular vote, he's supposed to get 45, right? Like at some level, it's amazing that polls are not worse than they are, right? Because you mm-hmm. are just kind of randomly dialing people and like there are all types of biases in who answers. So it's amazing that polls don't do worse. But no, I, look, mm-hmm. I don't really think that there's much evidence that um, people are hiding their Trump views. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. People are pretty, I mean, Trump supporters are pretty outspoken, <laughs> you know? Um, That's true. They're pretty enthusiastic. And also like, you know, if you ask people about some things, right? Like if you do polling on like, oh, how would you feel about the George Floyd protest this summer, mm-hmm. right? There's some evidence that on that type of question, people will be responsive to um, to giving an answer they think is more PC. Um, but for Trump, the thing is about Trump, like you can support Trump for reasons that have to do with race or Mm-hmm. you know, or or not liking immigrants or whatever else, right? You could just say, oh, I'm voting for Trump because of taxes, right? Mm-hmm. I want to lower taxes. Oh, I'm voting right. for Trump because I want a steady hand, right? You don't have to say the reason why you're voting for him. You just have to say that you're voting for him. And for the most part, people are pretty honest about saying who they're voting for. The mm-hmm. why is much different, right? Um, the explanation is much different. It might be kind of irrational on some level. But people generally in the United States um, do not conceal their... Um, their preference of candidates. So just kind of launder the reason for it into something that might be more acceptable. Also, I wanted to ask, what is the percentage of people that you ask that represents the whole? Because I've always been fascinated by that, that you can pull a snapshot of people and yet it gives us this indication of a bigger number. Well, what is that? And maybe this is a math question, a statistics question. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's the magic of random sampling. Uh, right. With a relatively small number of people, a lot of polls have 600 people or 1,000 people, then you can get a pretty good snapshot of the whole population. If it's random, though, right? If you if you have biases, mm-hmm. like we talked about before, right? If you're having too many college-educated people yeah. or too many white women, then it won't be random, obviously. But, um, but you know, pollsters are very smart at number one. I mean, mm-hmm. just the math of it. This, is, this part is easy. You can actually kind of say, okay. Um, I mean, again, I, I obviously, I'll make this sports comparison here, right? Sure. Um, if you watch a major league baseball player take 100 at bats, right, or 50 right. at bats, um, then you can't tell that much, but you can tell a little bit. You can also quantify how much in 50 at bats can I understand what his true batting average is, right? That part right. is is easy to measure. That's where the margin of error in polls comes from, and it's not zero. I mean, I think people do neglect the fact that, like, if I poll 500 people, and let's say Biden's really up seven points in a certain state, right, mm-hmm. you're going to get some polls where he's up 13 by random chance or up to by random chance, right? So that's why, you know, that's why what 538 does, we average different polls and that basically boosts the sample size a lot. It's real fascinating just how this works, you know, that because some of the science feels like magic sometimes, you know. It is kind, uh, it is kind of magic. Again, it is to me, yeah. it's amazing to me that polls are not more wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It yeah, is amazing yeah. that like you get within, you know, two or three points most of the time. Occasionally you have bigger errors. Um, yeah. But it's amazing that polls aren't, aren't worse. Okay, let's talk about uh, what's going on out there now. And I want to talk about it in a couple of different ways. Let's look at the big picture first. Like in terms of the widest poll, uh, who's, is there a leader right now in a large, let's say, let's call it a national poll. Um, And what is that? And what is that margin? If there is one? Joe Biden has a pretty clear lead in national polls. He's up eight or nine points nationally. Um, Eight or nine is, I would call that a predictor of success in terms of a national lead, right? Eight eight or nine points is a real lead. Um, It's about what, you know, Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter by, by 9.7 in 1980. It's about what Barack Obama beat John McCain by Mm -hmm. 7.3 or something points in 19 uh, or 2008. So it's, it's consistent with, 
you know, kind of a borderline landslide. But, you know, mm-hmm. but like the national popular vote doesn't actually mean anything. Exactly. Like, exactly. I was getting to that. Yeah. President. So, you know, so it's closer in the swing states. So that's why that's why Trump, although sure. a big underdog, is not is not out of it. Right, because of our electoral college and that sort of thing. Did now those numbers that you talked about with Reagan and Obama were those pre-election poll numbers, or are you giving me post-voting uh, actual numbers? So, mm-hmm. um, in the Obama election, two thousand eight, the polls were quite good. Right, they had Obama head by seven points. They went by seven points. Um, wow. In nineteen eighty, you want to go back that mm-hmm. far? The polls underestimated how well Reagan would do because um, it was had, a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, they had Reagan ahead by a little bit, but it was kind of thought it would be a photo finish, and it wound up mm-hmm. being a landslide where he won by by ten points. Right. So one thing wow. to emphasize is like, you know, kind of by definition, the surprises are surprising. You know, everyone's kind of prepared for like, oh, the polls are wrong and Trump wins, and that can happen. That can definitely happen. However, you can also have the opposite, where like, wait, how did Joe Biden win by fourteen points? Right? How did Joe Biden win Missouri? Right? Uh-huh. That's probably not going to happen, but like. But when there's a mistake, then it's not always the mistake that people anticipate. The people who you talk to, do you get out of the out of the air at first the fact that they will vote? Because it's one thing to say, who do you support? But will people actually vote might be a different thing. Like there could be a, a depressed vote where people say they support somebody but don't go out and vote. Do you, Does polling account for that type of thing or do you just assume those people are going to go vote? So most polls use what is called a likely voter model. So you actually right. ask people there are different ways of doing it, right? Some polls just say, are you going to vote? And if people mm-hmm. say yes, they include you. Some about, okay. ask about your voting history, right? Some do it probabilistically where they say, okay, we're going to calibrate these four or five different factors. And you mm-hmm. say you're going to vote, but you haven't voted before. So we're going to count you X percent as likely to vote, right? Um, what's a bit different this year is that we actually have hard data on how many mm-hmm. people voted so far because most people are going to vote in fact, most people have already voted um, yeah. as, we're, as we're recording this. So yes. 90 million people have already voted. That's um, crazy. There were 137 million who voted in all of 2016, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have higher turnout this year, very likely. Um, but, you know, but now that makes it easier, actually, at the end, is that if you, if you say, hey, have you voted? In some states, well, you can go look up, right? I can look, hey, has Nate Silver, has Larry Wilbur, have they voted? I can go look your name up and they say, mm-hmm. yes, um, this person, their ballot was counted. So mm-hmm. you can actually look that up too. So, uh, so it's a different world now. And in some ways, all the early voting would make polling a little bit easier because it's mm-hmm. already locked in. And would you uh, combine uh, a predictor poll of how people vote with maybe an exit poll with trying to guess how people voted or something? Or and let's talk about exit polling and how that is different and specific, and what and how is that predictive and how we get that wrong as well. So exit polling traditionally was done at the polling site, right? At the polling site, okay. And station somebody, you know, I I voted at Madison Square Garden the other day of all places, right? (laughs) Someone someone stationed Madison Square Garden, like, and they'll intercept every 30th person. They're like, oh, hey, can you fill out this form, right? But amazingly, Mm -hmm. it kind of works most of the time. This Mm -hmm. year, because there are so many different means of voting, some people are voting early in person like I did, some people are voting on election day, some people are sending in their mail ballot. Um, Mm -hmm. That makes exit polling very tough. So yeah. on Tuesday, um, when you start to hear, oh, exit polls said this or that, right? Look, the people who do exit polls are smart, but we have not faced a situation before where two-thirds of the country already voted, right? And yeah. whether the exit poll adequately captures that or not is something I would be pretty skeptical about it adding a lot of value. It's going to be interesting because it may slant Republican this year because it feels to me, and maybe I'm wrong, it feels like a lot of Democratic votes, or I'll call them Biden votes, um, wanted to get out early because a lot of those people are maybe being a little more safer with Corona. And a lot of, it seems like the Trump people are like, well, you know, Trump doesn't care about Corona. I mean, he survived it. I feel like we can get out. And it almost feels like more of those people are going to be out on election day. Is that going to affect? what the information we get from exit polling, do you think? Or am I wrong about this? No, that's it's totally right. Um, a lot of Democrats have already voted early or voted mm-hmm. by mail. Um, and the turnout on election day will be quite Republican. So at least mm-hmm. poll, if polls are right. So um, so yeah, the sample of people who are voting, if you go and vote on election day and you see a bunch of people with like Trump paraphernalia on them, that's what you should yeah. expect. Because like Democrats voted early, Republicans are voting late. 
whether mm-hmm. it's because they're not as concerned about COVID or just they, you know, or they are more concerned about mail voting. Um, I mean, that depends, right? But like, yeah, you're going to have big shifts. And by the way, in some state, Pennsylvania, they'll probably announce the election day vote first. Mm. So that might be very red. See, that's very interesting. Yeah. Other states, they announce the mail vote first, which would be very blue, right? So you're mm-hmm. going to see like lots of weird stuff. Red yeah. states that are very blue, blue states that are very red. Um, and until a county or a state has sort of through all the different versions of ballots that it has, um, mail votes, election day votes, and early votes, until a county is completely reported, then you just cannot really rely on on partial returns. Wow. Because um, I've always thought sometimes, like, they wouldn't even count the <laughs> absentee votes if it wasn't going to make a difference, or at least wouldn't give us that tally. You know, they would just do it later, you know. Well, it used to be. I mean, there are provisional ballots, right? Provisional ballots. Right. Only sometimes only do get counted if um, it would make a difference, right? Right. Absentee ballots have always been a thing, um, but never to this magnitude, right? It's never yeah. been as many states having no excuse absentee voting. Uh, I think it's like 44 states. You don't need an excuse to vote by mail. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, look, for better or worse, um, votes have historically gotten counted in the U.S., right? Mm. Trump is threatening like various things about, oh, well, she's going to stop counting on election day. That's mm-hmm. not legal. <laughs> There's no justification for that. It doesn't mean that you couldn't have some crazy interpretation of the law, right? But like, I mean, I think people do need to know, though, is like if you send a mail vote in now, it might not get into the election office right. by election day. So people should now at this point, um, if you haven't, if you have a mail ballot, either go put it in a drop box, which they have in right. most states, or go vote in person. And sometimes you have to bring your ballot there to cancel it. In some states, they don't care as much. Um, but look up the rules, and you do not want to be sending in a vote by mail now if you want your vote to count. It's way too late. Yeah, I voted here yesterday in California, uh, yesterday, Friday, October 30th. And uh, what they um, electronically canceled out uh, a mail-in vote when I checked in. And I thought, oh, that makes sense. That was cool. They did it like that, you know. Yeah, it's, in New York City, I think everybody was sent uh, mail ballots, and I personally wanted to just vote in person. So I'm sure they canceled whatever whatever mail ballot I would have had. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to make sure. I was not kidding around. I took my <laughs> son with me, too. We're voting in person today. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you have the chance. In person, you do have the chance to correct mistakes. Yes. Um, again, at this point, it's too late to vote by mail and trust that vote to be counted. Um, I agree. Earlier, it was it was fine ninety nine percent of the time, um, but if you do want to get up to one hundred percent, then you would vote in person. Yeah, let's talk about some of the different areas right now that can make the difference. Uh, I want to start with Florida first of all. Why is Florida so crazy? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on in Florida? It is I think, crazy. I think because you got a mix of different types of crazy, right? You got yeah. like it's a multicultural state. Uh, That's a kind way to put it. I kind of like yes. I feel, the way I know I'm getting older yes. is that every time I go to Florida, I like it a little bit more. I'm like, that's oh, so I funny. Just the sun, right? Have some food, <laughs> it's getting you. <laughs> it's grabbing you, Nate. It's going to get you. <laughs> it's warm all year round. So, yep. yeah. Um, Florida is like a microcosm of different parts of the US, right? Yeah. Where, you know, Orlando is kind of more Puerto Rican and growing, right? And uh-huh. the panhandle is very red, like Alabama, right? And Tampa is one thing, and Miami is another thing, almost uh-huh. as though it's in Latin America or something, right? So Florida uh-huh. kind of is a mix of, of, of a little bit of everything. And so it's not surprising that um, that it kind of is a swing state. Um, mm. But you do, I mean, one thing to note about Florida, it is, there are a lot of old people, and people yeah. migrate there from other parts of the country. And so this, like, demographic shift, right? In other parts of the South, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, whatnot, right? You have um, these cities are becoming more and more purple or blue. You know, Uh you go to Houston and you drive around and like Houston is extremely multicultural. Houston is extremely becoming very blue now, right? Um, Florida, though, you have a lot of old people moving there. And so it's a bit less true. Um, Uh It um, it counterbalances some of the, the other demographic changes. Yeah. And older people aren't necessarily in one political group, you know, because if a lot of those people are coming from New York, they're probably going to be leaning left. But if they're older in the in the Bible Belt part of Florida, they're going to be leaning right. That's true. But um, but I think the type of New Yorker that migrates to Florida might not be the average New Yorker necessarily. Um, Mm -hmm. But the older one is interesting this year. It's um, 
seniors voted for Trump in 2016. This year, there's some evidence that says Biden is going to win the senior vote. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, but that's that's a shift. Yeah. So and where are we in Florida right now? What's what's the polling snapshot right now? This is Saturday, October 31st. What is the polling snapshot in Florida right now? Who's got the edge? Florida is, is very close. Um, Trump is behind by maybe two points, but two, two points, points is not a big, yeah, two points. I mean, there are a lot of two point races in Florida and they kind of go 50, 50. So yeah, Florida is a state that probably is um, the best state for Trump's chances, right? If, if Joe oh, Biden definitely. had the, had the lead in Florida, they had elsewhere, then he'd be in a much safer position. But yeah, but Florida has been close all year. Um, you know, Biden's lead expanded a bit actually in the midst of the COVID crisis there. Um, mm-hmm. But now it's reverted back to being a, a two-point Biden lead only or so. Well, that is interesting. So that's ba- that's virtually even then. A two-point lead really is even, right? Especially in Florida. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, I think once you get to like anything within three points is kind of in the margin of error, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, a three-point lead you should assume is not safe. Um, a four yeah. or five-point lead you should assume there's a favorite, but it's also not safe safe. It's just a little yeah. bit safer. Well, a four or five point lead in Florida is still within the margin of error. I would say yeah. twenty point lead in Florida is within the margin of error. <laughs> yeah, I mean Florida has a history of, of being very close, yes. so this probably will be no exception. Okay, what are your? Do you have any predictions for Florida? I know you're not in the prediction game, but if you were to say, you know, it feels like it's probably gonna. I wouldn't be surprised if this happens with Florida. I mean, Florida is. I mean, we have. A forecast and because trump is narrowly behind in polls there he's the narrow underdog um mm-hmm. what's important about florida though is like florida counts its votes quickly um, okay so a lot of states are not going to report many results or complete results on election night florida probably will so it's kind of a i mean the prediction is that like i don't know who's winning florida i do know that if trump loses florida then he's in deep shit oh um, he, he can't win without florida right right so you know right so we'll kind of know based on Florida. I mean, these southern states, you know, whatever you want to think about um, yeah. how easy it is to vote in these states, they do count their votes quickly. So Florida, mm-hmm. Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina, um, Trump needs to win all of those states, basically. They'll probably all be counted at some point on election night. And if so okay. if Joe Biden breaks through and wins one or two or certainly three or four of those states, then you'll know that Trump is is probably going to no longer be the occupant of the White House on January 21st, whether he goes willingly or not is another thing. But like, but that would be a pretty solid sign that Joe Biden was on a good track. So your forecast? I mean, our, our forecast has Joe Biden with a 90% chance of winning Electoral College. So he is in mm-hmm. a better no, position. No, I'm talking about Florida. Florida. Six, 63, 65% of looking now. Yeah. 65%? So that's okay. more, you know, that's, that's pretty, that's in our view. Pretty close. Trump wins more than one out of three times. That seems like mm-hmm. kind of a lot, right? You know, if you have a 350 hitter in Major League Baseball, that's one mm-hmm. of the best hitters of all time. Um, yeah. Rogers Hornsby or something like that, right? So, like, so you know, Donald Trump is, but, has a very solid chance in Florida. It's other states like yeah. the Midwest that are a bigger problem for him. Those baseball statistics are <laughs> based on <laughs> failing most of the time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, this is this is the peril of forecasting. Yeah, I know. Forecasting. The favorite wins most of the time, but you get total shit about it after when that 35% chance comes through. So it's a little different. Yeah. But like, it's but like, yeah, people hey. need to be aware. Like, you know, again, Joe Biden's in a strong position, but but not so strong that um that anybody can sleep easily. Yeah. Let's talk about one of those states you mentioned, uh, Georgia. Uh, because it seems like Democrats are spending a lot of time there. And I'm guessing that they feel like if they can, as you say, pull off something like a Georgia, like even if they lost Florida, but you pull out a Georgia, you kind of almost almost like winning Florida. It's not the same kind of votes, but it might have the same kind of effect. Um, that's that's right. I mean, yeah, if Trump loses Georgia, then it's very, very hard to imagine him yeah. winning. Um, it's very hard to imagine it not being a landslide, right? And polls actually uh-huh. have Joe Biden ahead in Georgia. Really? Um, whether those are right or not, we'll see. But like, but yeah, surprisingly, most polls in Georgia have either a tie or mm-hmm. Biden slightly ahead. I mean, it is a state where you've had a lot of demographic change, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people moving to parts of the country. It's got like, you know, rich kind of suburbs in Atlanta that that yeah. type of place has gone more democratic in recent years. Democrats did win a couple of House races there in 2018, although they lost the governor's race. Um, mm-hmm. 
So yeah, Georgia is. And you have Stacey uh, Abrams there, who's been Stacey real, Abrams. Act, real active in trying to change the demographic of the voting, getting people out to vote. Um, right. And the fact that like in Georgia, given Georgia's political traditions, the fact that mm-hmm. she almost won, people are like, oh, yeah. well, you know, what happened? Well, like for Stacey Abrams to, to almost win in Georgia, a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. Given that state's history is, you know, that should have been a wake up call. I mean, you do have to sometimes mm-hmm. look at like, at like the margins in a state, not just who wins or who loses, right? For her to be within a percentage point of winning um, tells you that Georgia is not the same state that it used to be. Yeah, and so Georgia's one of those states, and I'll go to Texas next because I think it's similar to Georgia in this sense. I think Georgia and Texas are states that are being less candidate-driven uh, and more ideological-driven and changing. You know, they're both becoming a little purpley. Does that, does that sound right? I think that's right. And there and there are states mm-hmm. maybe where, um, I mean, Texas is still very Republican. Very Republican, It's yes. not as much of a Trumpian state. It's more of a kind yeah. of Mitt Romney, Ted Cruz, conservative yeah. justices and right. uh, low taxes. Yeah, you know, strong it's more foreign about policy. taxes than abortion. It's a Bush, Romney, yeah. Cruz Republicans than like, the, than like the populist kind of Trump Republicans. And those sure. are voters who have shifted um, in some cases toward toward Biden. What is the issue that you think is changing that? Is it a demographic change or like are just are there just more Democrats being born? <laughs> or do you think some people are switching parties? Some people are switching. I mean, you know, the message that Biden has tried to portray is that, hey, you don't have to be a staunch Democrat to vote for Biden. Right. You mm-hmm. just want to have to restore some degree of sanity. <laughs> That's Biden's pitch. Right. I'm not endorsing it. Right. But like you just want to, mm-hmm. you know. You're trying to restore decency and order to the White House is kind of mm-hmm. what Biden is saying. And it's non-ideological. So, and that works for some people. A lot of independents yeah. are voting for Biden this year. Um, a lot of people who are registered as Republicans, but like don't like Trump are voting for Biden this year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Trump also has his share of very, very strong supporters, but like, but no, he's trying to, he's trying to persuade people. It's not just a turnout game with Biden. He's trying to actually take traditional Republicans or whatever else and have them vote differently than they have before. How big of a deal are independents in today's voting environment? Uh, I don't hear much about independents these days. They're a very big deal. I think in part because, you know, people worry about turnout a lot, right? But mm-hmm. like independents, I mean, so one thing, if I, if you get me to switch my vote, right? Mm-hmm. If the Biden campaign calls me and persuades me to vote for Biden and I was going to vote for Trump before, that's like a net plus two. Before I was a minus one for them, now I'm a plus one, so I'm a mm-hmm. net two, right? If you get someone to turn out when they weren't turning out before, you're 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 a plus one. That's helpful, but not as much as a vote switcher. And so, you know, mm. people who change their minds, and a lot of people in the Midwest um, voted for Obama in 2012, voted for Trump in 2016, and a fair number of them are switching back now and voting for for Biden, who they voted for on the bottom of the ticket in 2012. So it's not that much of a shock, but like, but if you can get those Obama Trump voters back in your camp, right, and keep the kind of Romney Clinton voters who are more suburban and affluent, keep them and, and get some of the Trump Obama supporters back, then, mm-hmm. then you win the election, right? I mean, Hillary Clinton did not lose by very much in 2016. So if you can just get a few of them back, not all of them, just like a little bit of that of those switchers back in your camp, then mm-hmm. then Joe Biden wins instead of losing narrowly. Is there a chance Biden can win Texas? I've heard people saying that that's a possibility. I don't think it's possible, but what do you think? It's possible. Um, mm-hmm. He is behind by a point or so in Texas. A point? Um, yeah, it's close. It's close. Wow. He is an underdog there, but not by not by much. I mean, again, we've already had more people as we're talking. We've already had more people vote in Texas than voted in all of 2016, and it's, mm-hmm. it's not election day yet. So you definitely have a different electorate there. And again, if you go to Texas and look at the demographic of Texas, then Texas is very. Diverse. It's also got a lot of college educated people, right? It's got a mm-hmm. lot of tech industry and stuff like that, right? It's got a lot of yeah. big universities. So Texas kind of looks like it should be a swing state, hasn't voted like it before. But if you have a bunch of people before who had not bothered to turn out because they thought Texas wasn't close and now mm-hmm. it is, then, then you know, I mean, again, our model would been on Trump in Texas, but it's pretty darn close. We have Biden wow. with the 37% chance there. Who was the last Democrat to take Texas? LBJ, maybe. I mean, Texas used Whoa. to be, I, I should know that. It maybe is more recent than that. I guess Jimmy Carter probably took Texas. But yeah, I mean, Texas has been a very red state for a long time. Yeah, that was part of... Yeah, Jimmy Carter won Texas. Carter so, did? Yeah. yeah. In 76, but not in the 70, 
Definitely right. not an 80. 76. Yeah. Wow. And, okay, the other important state seemed to be Pennsylvania right now. Hillary lost Pennsylvania in 2016, right? She did. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that exactly. was the one where everybody was scratching their heads because it seemed like she was going to win that. And then I remember watching <laughs> the election that night, and it just you just saw all this red in these counties and stuff, you know, yeah. and that little bit of blue, like around Philadelphia, that type of thing. What do you what what first of all, what are the numbers in Pennsylvania? Does it does Biden have a, a five point lead there or is it lower? Is it closer? What is it? He he has about a five point lead there, um, mm-hmm. which is not nothing, but like that's yeah. the thing keeping Trump afloat though. If Biden had like an eight point lead in Florida like he has in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. then we're getting on the fringes of probability here. But no, Biden mm-hmm. is ahead by by only five points or so in Pennsylvania. Do you feel Pennsylvania is another key state like Florida? Yeah, it's probably even more important, right? Because mm-hmm. Florida is a little bit optional for Biden. He can, if he mm-hmm. wins Flo- Florida, he wins the election, but he's not necessarily in trouble that much if he loses it. Yeah, Pennsylvania is more of a state where, like, um, that's Biden's easiest path to victory is to win back Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. There are some chances for Biden if he doesn't do that, but like, but if he loses Pennsylvania, then he's an underdog. So it's a pretty important mm-hmm. state, very important state, and. If on election night we see Trump take Florida, Trump take Georgia, Trump take Pennsylvania, and uh, the numbers start looking like Trump's going to take Michigan, like what do you think? Okay, this feels like something's happening again <laughs> that happened the last. Yeah, time. I mean there are going to be <laughs> a lot of questions asked of pollsters, a lot of questions uh-huh. asked of data journalists. Yeah, I know if, if if I mean the thing about it is Biden is on the one hand is in a more solid position than Clinton. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, it does mean that like if Trump wins and something seriously went wrong with polls or with, mm-hmm. um, or with the election itself. Right. I mean, there are questions mm-hmm. about like, um, you know, when you send in mail votes, then mm-hmm. do they get lost or not counter or whatever else? But like, but you know, even though people are much more prepared this year for Trump winning than they were for Clinton winning, Clinton actually was a, not as much of a favorite as Biden is. I mean, Biden's in right. a pretty solid position, but that, that means that like, there are going to be a lot of autopsies if Trump, <laughs> if Trump wins about um, how he won. I'd also say if Trump wins, it'll probably take a while to know um, because you're going to have these big Western states that are slower mm-hmm. to count their ballots. We might not know who wins Pennsylvania and Michigan for several days. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Biden wins, kind of the verdict will come quickly maybe. If we're waiting for Pennsylvania and Michigan because Trump has won all these Southern states, then, um, then that's much different. Okay, so let's say it's murky in those states. Let's say Trump wins Florida. And I apologize to people who are creating nightmare scenarios out there. But I'm just, they're like, no, Larry, stop saying these things. But let's just say, you know, it, it feels like that. We don't know what's going on in Pennsylvania, Michigan. Maybe Biden takes Wisconsin, but Trump balances it out by taking something else. Okay, let's talk about the West. What is the balance? What's What can happen in the West uh, for Trump to win, and what happens for Biden to win if, let's say, those scenarios are going on? So the the West, you basically and like 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 what states are the most important? Maybe I could put it that way. Basically, in the West, you have. I mean, obviously, the West Coast per se, California, Oregon, Washington is very Democratic. Um, mm-hmm. Arizona, though, is competitive. Yeah. Um, that's another state. It's almost a must win for for Trump. For Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevada is competitive ish. Biden's ahead there, but not by that large a margin. That's a state where if Biden were to lose Nevada, then all of a sudden, is it Nevada or Nevada? I think it's Nevada, it de- right? Yeah, it depends Nevada. if you're there or not. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, any v- I just NDA. say Las Vegas. That's Las what, Vegas, I just, right? Yeah, I just say Vegas. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If That's a little upside for Trump, though, Nevada, because if he wins there, mm-hmm. then that would take a Clinton state. Probably Clinton state he's most likely to win is, is Nevada because um, it's a bit more working class. Trump, right. believe it or not, is actually polling um, a little better with Hispanic voters than Clinton did in 2016. Wow. And so it might be a state that, um, you know, it's a little bit anti-lockdown because it relies on tourism and stuff like that. So it's a state that is sort of competitive. But basically mm-hmm. Arizona and Nevada. I mean, there's also states like, you know, Trump could win or lose Montana in a landslide or Alaska. But like, you know, then the election outcome would not be in doubt. If Joe Biden, I mean, he's only a few points down in polls of Montana. If he wins Montana, then obviously Joe Biden is having a very good night. Mm-hmm. So really, the West isn't going to 
be that much of a deal. It's really going to be the Rust Belt in Florida, right? That, that's right. And and North Carolina. And North Georgia. Carolina. Really? Okay. Did Trump win North Carolina last time? Trump won North Carolina last time. Romney won it in 2012. Obama won it in 2008. But North Carolina is another state that's polling very, very close right now. Uh, how close is it? Biden's ahead by about two points. So Any, very, any feelings very about that? Do you think that's going to because uh, it's hard to know what's going on in the air there, you know, like one of the let me ask you this. How how much does um do you think maybe personally this doesn't have to be a scientific answer, but <laughs> do you have a well, because I know that there is a difference, you know, uh, but I want to talk about late breaking news, you know, not necessarily October surprises, but let's call it November developments. How about that? You know, like like the sure. Comey thing people felt was not so much an October surprise so much as a late breaking type of nuisance i don't think it made that big of a difference but a lot of people argue with me and say that it did you know um, well clinton clinton didn't lose by very much right. um so the comey letter is probably enough to swing it a lot of other things could have swung it too right mm-hmm. um but we're kind of too late now for a november or october surprise mm-hmm. um because like first of all 90 million people already voted so their votes mm-hmm. are are fixed right if we if those votes exist, <laughs> if, uh, if, like if we can find all those votes and if they get counted, right? Um, but it's too late for a November surprise. Uh-huh. Um, Numbers I mean, the surprise wise. was like the surprise, not really a surprise, given how few precautions he was taking, was that Trump got COVID. That was a surprise, right? And then the surprise that like not also not a surprise. If you listen to epidemiologists, we're having uh-huh. another COVID spike in the United States, right? We almost had hundred thousand cases. What day, about so. the news on the economy that uh, how much it surged? Is that a bit of a positive surprise maybe for Trump? Potentially for Trump, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he were able to focus on that more, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, I mean, Trump, again, there's like a little mythology about, oh, Trump is a great political strategist. Like if, if he wins Tuesday, it'll look smart. But if the polls mm-hmm. are right and he doesn't win, then, you know, spending the last days of the campaign talking about Hunter Biden and, mm. you know, the Biden corruption, which, so which he's... Bad projecting, I think, a little bit there. Um, that's not the message that you would want to close on. You want to close and say, oh my gosh, we had, you know, this massive GDP growth, right? Um, mm-hmm. Although also, you know, there are other signs. I mean, the stock market was way off this week. Um, people are concerned about um, maybe it's going to be a rough winter for for COVID, it looks like. And so, you know, I mean, that is the, we haven't talked much about the pandemic, but like that is the backstory here, right? Like mm-hmm. whether Trump was slated to lose or win before COVID hit, um, but more than 200,000 Americans have died. It's the number yeah. one concern of, of the plurality of voters and things are getting worse again, right here mm-hmm. on election week. Right. So it's, it's not a good way for Trump to close. Yeah. I felt like I, in January, I was saying Trump's going to get reelected. That was my prediction because I don't think Americans change presidents during a good economy. It's just very difficult, you know, and that's not even an ideological thing. It's just looking of how the way people behave, you know, um, and I, I really think if, you know, the pandemic certainly wasn't Trump's fault, you know, but I think his lack of leadership on it is what has really hurt him the most, because that also was an opportunity for him to lead on it. And the American people, they, the American people, I, I feel, and this may sound pie in the sky, but I think they really do want to follow their leader in times of crises, you know, Um and even as partisan as we are, when people are dying and stuff, and if someone is really leading, that can be inspirational for people, especially people who aren't ideological, you know? And I, I think yeah, that was the missed opportunity of this year because, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you can blame people for deaths and all that stuff, but if you're not leading, that's going to make a big difference with people. It's like, this guy, I think people are like, this guy doesn't even care, you know? There are a lot of leaders who became more popular yeah. After COVID, because they were perceived as, I mean, you know, look at Cuomo in New York. Right? Yeah. New York had a very bad first wave. Um, there were yeah. a lot of signs that, you know, Cuomo kind of didn't handle nursing homes well, but just by being kind of like a basic, competent, empathetic politician, right? Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. gave him a lot of credit. He became more popular. So, yeah. Like Bill Clinton would have been the ideal president for COVID. Because he would have felt people's pain, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, you, you already thought it would be smart. Like, that's a type of president that, to me, is good for those situations, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, um, 
you know, look, COVID is tough. I mean, a lot of countries around the world have struggled with it. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, the basic blocking and tackling of like good messaging and setting up the right test wars and being consistent yeah. about telling people to wear masks, right? I mean, the, the easy stuff, he didn't really get right. And do we feel at the end of the day, that's going to be the deciding vote this year as opposed to her emails? Yeah, look, for better or worse, it doesn't seem as though people um, care that much about, I mean, Joe Biden doesn't have that much personal scandals, really. But like, it seems right. like people are are not uh, as anti-Biden as they were anti-Clinton, right? And that's one thing you can draw is like, okay, well, maybe it's just for whatever reason, maybe it's sexism, maybe it's the media, maybe it's her own fault at some combination, right? But like, for whatever reason, there are just a certain group of people who are were willing to vote for Joe Biden that were not willing to vote for Clinton. And if there are only a few of those people out there, because Clinton didn't lose by very much, then that's enough for her to win. Nate, I really appreciate you spending time with me uh, uh, this morning. I just wanted to ask you a couple of things uh, before you go here. Um, is there anything that you're girding yourself for in terms of a surprise? Um, or are you like, mm, this feels like it's going to kind of go as it's scripted? Um, in some ways, it would be a surprise if it went as scripted, given how everything has happened in America, right? So, <laughs> Very nice. That's a surprise, right? <laughs> yes. No, look, I mean, we, we put probabilities on things because we believe in those probabilities, right? There's a 10% mm-hmm. chance that Trump wins. Um, mm-hmm. That's a pretty decent and very, very consequential 10% of the time. So, um, so no, I just, you know, I probably spend more time thinking about the low probability things, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we'll get, I'm sure, a lot of crap from people if that happens, even though we're telling people, like, hey, 10%, not nothing. Um, but no, I just, you know, I, I, you know, obviously, um, it's better for my business when the favorites win, (laughs) you know, but like, but we know underdogs win and we've been through this enough election cycles where, um, where we know to take those probabilities seriously. And that 10% is very different than 0%. Uh, cash make a big mistake pulling his picture in the fifth inning. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I mean, it might be a little bit of hindsight bias, but like, I think that the pitching changes have gone too far for sure. Yeah. he was using the numbers, Nate. I'm just saying. Oh, you can't blame analytics for bad decisions. You know. <laughs> He's using probability. I don't know. But he. I don't think he made the right call. I think probability doesn't say you keep your picture in and, you know, after 50 pitches or whatever. But, I'm yeah. just saying probability has a way of, of fucking with us these days. And those are, my do- those are my Dodgers, so I was happy about it. But uh, very surprised. So Very, very analytically savvy, the L.A. Dodgers, right? These teams, all these teams, absolutely. Dodgers. The Lakers. I mean, all these teams are using some type of analytics. Completely. So. Yeah, Dave Roberts is a is a big uh, believer in that. He's gotten really criticized for it, but it worked out for him this time, which is good. You know, I think baseball. If you're going to use it, I mean, baseball is the sport to use that in because of. I mean, they've got 162 games. You have a large sample. You have size. a large sample size. Yes. It's easy to quantify, right? It's yeah. a, basically an individual sport. You kind of you take yeah. turns, right? Easier than teamwork or whatever that you have in other sports so baseball is yeah. pretty easy to, to measure yeah football would be the hardest because of the smaller right. sample size you know then there's anybody can win a football game you know on almost any given sunday which is why that term is there you know uh that's, and that's right for sure yeah the super bowl you have one game it's not a best out of seven you know it's real tough you know um last prediction do you predict we have a winner on election night or do you predict this goes on for days? That's probably more 50-50, whether you have a winner on election. 50-50 is not an answer. I think, okay, well, all right. <laughs> so there's a 60% chance, roughly, that Joe Biden wins Florida. Um, if he wins Florida, we'll probably know that on election night. So I guess if you had to force me to pick, I'd say more likely than not. Um, but that's a much easier hurdle for Trump to clear, right? For Trump to win the election, he has to run the table in all these states for him to like not have it called on election night then he has to kind of win some of the easier states only he has to hold serve in florida arizona whatnot that's very doable whether you can also do that and then pull the midwest that's that's trickier but we won't know that for a few days if we know who the president is on election night it's joe biden if it goes on that increases trump's chances right exactly it's it's very hard for trump to do so well on election night itself mm-hmm. that he would win. Um, but that means that if we are waiting for a verdict, then it might wind up being pretty close again. 
Yeah, it's like when a jury's out too long, yeah. you know. We don't we don't want the jury out too long in this case. Like, no, no. If you're rooting for Joe Biden, you want the jury to come we back that, right away. Yeah. You want to go we to want, lunch. Yes. The poor person is like, we're ready to go to lunch. Here's our verdict, right? Let's we have go. a verdict, Your Honor. Thank you. Please read that. Yeah. All right. Last prediction. Who's going to be president? Well, we make forecasts, not predictions. So we, we buy our forecast. All right. 90% chance of Biden, 10% chance of Trump. Um, I will say, too, our forecast does not account for any possibility of like shenanigans, we call them, where there was really an effort to steal an election that, that Biden had won. So it assumes that, you know, if all votes are counted, then we think there's a 90% chance that, that Biden will win. But, you know, there's only so much you can assume these days. Yes. I feel that Trump can't beat Biden, but I do feel that he can cheat Biden. That's how I look at it. I mean, there are, it's like everything else that occurs at the margins, right? If you have a very close election, then courts may interpret precedents mm-hmm. in Trump's favor, right? Um, they probably would. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a clear margin, I don't know that courts would overturn a verdict that was clear. Um, but, you know, it's, it's partly why Biden is like going for the kill in states like Georgia, as he wants an unambiguous result that number one, couldn't get overturned, and number two, would send a message to people. Isn't that what Hillary did in 2016? Well, Hillary had a lot of a lot of issues. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. You, you're telling me that's why he's going to Georgia. I'm like, oh yeah, like Hillary did. Okay, yeah, sounds yeah. good. All right. I mean, she yeah, but you know, but the polling is much more okay. Maybe not much more. It's a somewhat more robust for Biden than it was for Clinton. If you say so. All right. Well, I'm telling, you know, it's what the polls say. I'm just passing <laughs> oh, along yeah, the news. Nah, yeah, don't take responsibility. <laughs> Blame it on the polls. All right. I, I well, will. No. I will. Nate, don't get me. <laughs> Nate, thank you so much. It's a joy to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk to you for years now. I'm just a huge fan. Uh, are you going to be making the rounds on election night? Are people I'll, be gonna... on, I'll be on ABC News. So I okay, work for Fox part of ABC News now. So I'll be great. on their air. Yeah, that's a great group over there. I, I love the ABC, what they've been following them for a while. Is Stephanopoulos going to be heading that coverage over there? There'll be George, all the all the different people. So it's a yeah. it's a fun group. I uh, Great. I hate awesome. I hate doing TV, but it's fun being on election night with ABC. So well, good luck with that. I'll be I'll be tuning into. Uh, I gotta cover all the channels. I look at all of it. We'll see what's going to happen. Nate Silver, thank you so much. Nate Silver, five thirty eight. You guys, um, appreciate you being on. <laughs>